I'm Rob Skinner, and this is the Rob Skinner Podcast. Today I'm talking to Steve Sandin from Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Steve and his wife Kelly have planted and led churches all over the Midwest. What makes Steve so remarkable is that in spite of following Christ and leading in six different decades, he's continuing to grow and bear fruit for God. He recently taught a class at the CLIMB Small Church Leadership Conference about the leader's view of God. It impacted me deeply. He reveals in this episode why we tend toward duty and obligation as disciples and how we can reignite grace and love in our relationship with God by a very counterintuitive method. Find out how to reignite your passion for God in this episode of the Rob Skinner Podcast. Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. I'm so happy to have Steve Sandin on the program today. And Steve opened up the first day of classes at the CLIMB Small Church Leadership Conference in Dallas at the end of 2021. And I remember sitting in the room and thinking, this guy is talking to me where where I'm at right now. And he was talking about a leader's view of God and how it's it's one of the most challenging things is 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 understanding grace, understanding God's love, and how our natural instincts are to um, be be driven by other motivations other than God's grace. And it, <laughs> I just thought this guy's reading my mind. He's he's been in my shoes. And I, I've known him from afar. I, I haven't really spent much time with him in any church setting. I've always heard his name since I was a young Christian. He's been around forever. But what impresses me about Steve, and I'm sure you'll you'll get to know him here, is that he's experienced so much. He's been a leader for years, for decades. He's gone through ups and downs, and yet he keeps on serving the kingdom of God, keeps on growing. And that's why I, I'm so happy to have him on the program is because of, of the, the journey he's been on and continues to grow. Steve, welcome to the program. So good to be here. Man. Thank you so much for having me on. Steve, how'd you become a Christian? Uh, well, first, thank you for having me on, but I'll say more about that later, okay? Uh, well, I, I, uh, I, I grew up in a really good family. I'm one of the lucky ones. and uh, But... Uh, when I went to college, uh, well, before that, I'd fallen madly in love with this woman. I wanted to get married. Uh, my parents had a fabulous marriage. And uh, so I was all, I've always been passionate about that subject. So, so this, this lady, after, after about five years, broke it off with me, and, and it just destroyed me. It was, she was my whole world. She was my God. Mm. And so, so I, it just devastated me. And so all my freshman year, I wasn't open the, the, the guys in the Heritage Chapel Church of Christ, Charleston, Illinois, <laughs> uh, came by 
literally every Thursday invited me to Bible talk and I just laughed at him. And, but then the next year when I went back, uh, after this happened, uh, um, I was completely in a different place because, and so, so I was wide open. And so, uh, a gentleman by the name of Bruce Abelka and Mark Mancini studied with me. I owe them so much. Um, and so, so that's why I became a Christian. And when I became a Christian, at least for the first, I call it the honeymoon period, first couple, three months, I was on top of the world. I was so fascinated uh, with, with Jesus. And so, um, but anyway, so that's, that's why I became a Christian. Uh, I fell in love with Jesus. But then once the honeymoon was over, I went through lots and lots and lots of struggles for a lot of years, even as an evangelist. Okay, so uh, Charleston, Illinois, is that where Kip was the minister? Is that am I wrong spot? Or? Yep. Yep. Yeah, Kip studied or Kip counted the cost with me and all that stuff. Yep. Okay, so Kip was your campus minister. Roger yep. Lamb was Roger your Lamb. church leader. Mm-hmm. Okay, yep. so you're you're going back and you're going back into the uh, way the the way back machine there. That's crazy. That, and yeah. that that was a cranking campus ministry, from what I understand. Yeah, there were uh, the same night I, w- I was baptized, eleven thirty at night on a Friday night devotional. There was, gosh, there was two hundred and fifty people there, and and there were two other there were two sisters baptized that night too. Oh and, my gosh! Uh, so that, yeah, it was it was cranking. That is so awesome. Okay, so how did you meet Kelly? You had this bad relationship, okay, and then and then you married Kelly. Tell tell us about what happened. I met her at church, <laughs> so I I went into the ministry about what was that nineteen eighty two I think it was. Uh, it's my first internship at a traditional church of Christ in Minneapolis, uh, Brooklyn Center Church of Christ. Still there, I still know people there, uh, and she was. Um, she was in the campus ministry there, uh, and I moved there for a year to be their campus minister. And then, um, and then we met. We became really good friends. She was the strongest sister on campus, so she was kind of my co-leader. And I like to laugh about this. We fell in love at Burger King uh, because she worked mm-hmm. uh, at this one of the towers downtown. Can't remember, but anyway, after she graduated, she worked there. And we would meet every Tuesday at Burger King. And so I really owe Jesus, the real king, for this relationship. But I owe Burger King a little bit. And we literally fell in love while we talked about ministry. (laughs) (laughs) She's amazing. That brings up good memories of my, my dating relationship with Pam. We we met at, uh, well, we didn't meet there, but we met at, at a devotional. A lot of our dating relationship was at a Lions coffee shop. And so, anyway, okay, so I'm not going to steal the spotlight, but that was, brings back good memories. Okay, can you give an overview of places you've served in ministry up until now? Could Just give us the 30,000-foot view. All right, so we've moved at least... 23 times, I think. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. So my mom asked me one time, she goes, 
she goes, because <laughs> her address book was so filled. She goes, <laughs> she goes, are you running from the FBI? <laughs> she, I, she was serious too. And I said, no, 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 not in some witness protection program. Or anything like that. We're just planting churches, churches for Jesus. But uh, yeah, it was a little crazy, but we, we have no regrets about that, you know, and God used us in spite of all our weaknesses to plant and build churches and all that jazz. Um, but we've been uh, first place really was uh, Charleston, Illinois. I interned there for a little bit. And I went to Brooklyn Center, Minneapolis, or the Minneapolis Center area. Sorry. Um, Chicago, I helped Marty Fuquay plant the Chicago church. Uh, then we, we went to Detroit. We've been in St. Louis. We've been in L.A. twice, Chicago twice. Um, and in Minneapolis, we ended up back there uh, after the big letter came out uh, for 14 years, which is the longest we've ever been any place. And then some stuff happened there. And then we ended up in Racine, Wisconsin. And then seven months ago, we moved to Eau Claire. Okay, so you're in Eau Claire, Wisconsin there with a good friend of mine, Joel Peed. I, I hope, uh, look forward to talking to you a little bit about that. But I, I definitely have you associated with the Midwest. When I think of like Midwest, your face pops to mind. You, you were, are certainly an influential person. When I think about the Midwest, I, I, I definitely think of people like Marty Fuquay and planting this Chicago church. But Steve, you're right up there in the pantheon of, of Midwest people. You had a rough patch in Minneapolis. Can you talk a little bit about that and how you recovered from that? Sure. Although I do want to say I, I lived in Toronto and Vancouver. Also, we planted the Vancouver church. I don't want to forget my beautiful Canadian brothers and sisters. Oh my they're, gosh. They're you plant, so, you planted the Vancouver church. Yeah. Kelly and I did. Yep. Oh my gosh. Okay. So you, okay. So that was before Brian, uh, Felushko led it. Yes. Yes. Okay. I didn't know you planted any other churches that you planted. Can you, uh, well, uh, Minneapolis was the first one, and then uh, then then Vancouver after that, and then um, that's probably the and then we we well we helped with Chicago of course right, we, right. We, I wasn't the main minister but we helped with Chicago and then we and then we helped in a sense with Detroit too because. Um, Anyway, um, because the couple that was there, you know, wrestled through some things. They're doing great now, but they've wrestled through some things. And then uh, I believe they're in L.A. now. But but we took it over pretty early on. I see. And they they had built uh, their names are escaping me. Sorry. But they had built a great foundation for us. Detroit was a, a really good time in ministry for us because of what they did. Wow. You've been to so, so many places. That's crazy. The Hollands. That's who they were. The Hollands. Oh, okay. So, uh, Kevin and Tracina. Kevin Tracina. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Got it. Okay. They, they lead, uh, yeah, they lead a, a region in the, in LA right now. Yep. yep okay. Yep. So going back to Minneapolis, you're there for 14 years, early part of this century. Um, what happened? Well, the first seven years, I, I thought I'd died and gone to hell. I swear. I was just like, <laughs> It was so hard. The letter came out. The church was devastated. And did, I, did I 
<laughs> uh, seriously, I was I was so spent. I and I took everything in my ministry toolbox right. was I emptied it two times over, and uh, and it just wouldn't turn around. And of course, we all had experiences like that. Oh yeah. Um, I remember talking with Dave Pachta, a good friend of mine, and he. Uh, I was in Chicago, and I was at the one of the lowest points of my life, probably the second lowest point in my life. And and I said, Dave. I don't feel good about anything in my life. Nothing. Mm -hmm. I don't feel good about my marriage. I don't feel good about where the church is at. My teenagers are crazy. Uh, uh, I don't feel good about anything. And, and then I thought for a second and I go, well, except my relationship with my dog, Harley, we're tight. <laughs> but other than that, I don't feel good about anything. <laughs> And that's what I said. And Dave just sat there. He didn't know what to say. So, uh, but as soon as I got that off my chest, I go, Job didn't quit. Wow. So neither. So I'm not going to quit. And that was so good for me to admit how helpless I was. And that was the beginning, I think, of my turnaround. Um, God turning me around, better said. So... Um, but then as the years rolled on, the, the Minneapolis church turned around quite a bit. There was a lot of growth. I think we, we were stuck at 165 members for like six, seven years. And then now if you, this isn't all world growth or anything, but, right. but now if you look at it as of today, the Eau Claire church was planted by us when we had no business planning a church because <laughs> we weren't healthy yet. The Duluth church was planted by us and Eau Claire together. And now between those churches, uh, one to 65 to, I think it's a little over 400 people, awesome. which it's, it's going the right direction slowly, but I think in a healthy way. So, so that's, that's encouraging to me. That is so, encouraging. Okay. So and then, the oh, first, go, go first seven years. Was, okay. Keep going. Well, then I, I think you really want to know what happened toward the end, Minneapolis, um, yeah, there was a, uh, we started having philosophy differences myself and Kelly with the core leadership. Uh, and they're all great people, uh, awesome Christians. And so, um, and I made some big mistakes. Like one of the biggest mistakes I made was I knew there was tension in the group, but for some weird reason, I don't, I handle tension real well. I go, we're going to figure this out. No biggie. But that wasn't where everybody else was at. Mm. And I was pretty naive. And so there was some, my not naivety and whatever, um, my lack of experience, I guess, uh, caused some big tension in a group. And, and so then we started button heads, um, and uh, we all made mistakes. Right. Uh, but what helped me to forgive, because about six years ago, I was at the lowest point in my life when five, six years ago, when we left, uh, they, I was asked to resign. Uh, and then I thought they're asking me, they're firing me. Right. Okay. That's how I felt. Right. right. That's not how they felt. It's very confusing because that same week, two of the guys that, were the main deciders of that both told me no one's helped us in our personal lives spiritually than you. And I'm like, 
So I was radically confused. I was like, but so, uh, but I just had to mature a lot. And, and so looking back now, I am so glad it happened because one of my greatest prayers in life, that's why I named my son Caleb, is I want to be a Caleb. I want to be more fired up on the day of my death than when I got baptized. And, I sh- and we should be. Um, if, if we are getting to know God in deeper and deeper ways as we go on, we should be. And so, so little did I know that all this trauma, and there's more to this story, um, that God was answering that prayer. I started praying when I was a young Christian. Uh, the thing that also happened right alongside getting let go, fired, whatever you call it. And again, I'm super resolved with all those folks. And so is I started having all this trauma and I discovered it one day when I was riding my motorcycle and I took it out of, took it out first day of spring. I, what the heck? I went seeing a doctor. It was all in my torso area. And since then I've had six surgeries. Um, and after each surgery, the pain got worse, not better. And it wasn't only until recently that uh, my favorite doctor in the whole wide world, Dr. Robin Mitchell, she's a member in the Chicago church. <laughs> uh, she, uh, she came in and she's, she's helping me. I'm feeling better now than I have in, in a long, long time. And I owe her and, and it, this is cool. And I'll shut up after this, but this shows how awesome God is. Because I studied the Bible with her husband way back in Charleston, Illinois, 40 plus years ago. And I didn't, you know, and Jim and I have been friends all these years, but Jim married Robin and God knew I was going to go through all this even before I met Jim in the gym. We were workout guys. And, and now Robin, it's kind of like payback in a good way. (laughs) So his wife is, I mean, I, I can't even tell you how grateful I am for how she's helped me. So anyway, that's kind of my story. I don't know if I went too long, but. No, that's great. That's great. So like you, like you shared at the conference, if anyone has been around a church for any length of period, length of time, they've undergone hurts, trauma, difficulties, um, being offended and offending other people, having leadership issues or having issues with people that are not happy with your leadership. What stands out about you to me, Steve, is you've made the most of it. You haven't wandered away. And I've seen what concerns me is I've seen people my own age or our own age, um, that they're, they're drifting. You know, they don't have that Caleb spirit. They're, they're getting weaker or they're, they're walking away from God and because of things like that, you know, you have a, a structural issue or a, an issue in the church politics and, and there's bitterness and it just doesn't go away. How, how did you take something that was painful and make it a positive? Um, well, I had to figure out that the second best teacher on the, in the universe is trauma. Obviously, the greatest teacher is God himself, Bible. But I think the first book ever written by the Holy Spirit was the book of Job, from my research. 
why that book? Because in that book, you have this super righteous dude, Job, and he suffers more than, I mean, when you look at how he suffered, all 10 kids of, of his died. They died on the single day, on one day. And so he had a funeral with 10 caskets in front of him. You sit in that moment and you sit that and try to picture that. I mean, we, we almost lost our granddaughter back December, right? Right before the climb conference. I can't imagine the pain of people. We, we were scared to death, but we didn't lose her. And that I go, wow, Job. And yet Job never quit. And then if you go to the end of Job, you find out it all made him better. And, and, it, and, and Job points to the resurrection when everything's going to, because God finally shows up. God is silent until chapter 38. God finally shows up. And that's our lives. God's going to show up. He did for Job and he's going to be for me and you and everybody else. Unless we quit. And so we, the greatest theme in the Bible, I think, is hope. Mm. God gives us hope. And that's what finally started getting me through. Okay, this is, this. I, I thought about quitting five, six years ago. Mm. We talked about me going on disability. I was bedridden in Racine, this heroic little tiny church. I was bedridden. Like I could only get up for two, three hours a day. And I had this new little church that, that needed help. I'm like, so I felt all this pressure. I got to get this thing growing. And I'm like, I can't even get out of bed. Mm. And yet the church grew, raised up a guy to replace it. I mean, it's just, it's such a sweetheart church. And if it wasn't for that church, I would have never healed up. We okay. don't, we don't ever heal from trauma by ourselves. It's, we have to do this with God and with God's community. And they were the perfect church for me to heal up. I feel like God prepared that church just to help me heal up. Mm. And then I helped them. We, Kelly and I helped them also. Steve, you're, in, you're incredibly positive. Okay. You, you're, you're seeing the best in, in people, which definitely stands out. So let me just double back here. So you not only had emotional upset with broken relationships or at least hurt relationships, but then you've got some type of a physical ailment. Is it you have back problems? What 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 was it? You had all these surgeries, and how are you doing now? I'm doing the best. I've, I mean, I'm I've only I, I had pain all over my tr tr uh, torso, my what do you call it, pelvic area, mm -hmm. uh, front, back, everywhere. Uh, the last place a man wants to have pain, it was the worst. Oh boy, <laughs> and so. Um, and I, doctor after doctor said, I don't know why you're going through this. And we, we went into lots of debt and, but, um, so, so yeah, it, it was, it was just hard. And it's like, okay, I can't get any answers. And so, so prayed and fasting. And that's really what helped along with doctor finding Dr. Robin Williams or God finding her for, a, for me. Um, but yeah, so is it, it was just so bad. I couldn't sit like, I, that's why I had to sell my motorcycle, mm -hmm. put it in three years of storage. I finally had to sell it. 
um, because it, I'm getting worse. So, so that's the toughest kind of trauma. You know, if I, if I suffered trauma for two years, but I knew it in two years is going to be over. That's one thing. But when you don't know if it's going to be over, like Job didn't, you go, you get more and more hopeless. Right. And so, uh, so studying these trauma books, uh, like Job, it, it really gave me hope. And then that led me to prayer and fasting. And now, um, I am doing better now than I've done in six years. And, um, so was it, was it a little pain? Was it now. psychosomatic? Was it something, was it related to the issues that you're facing in terms of your relationships in the church or was there uh was there a diagnosis? Was there a physical source to it or was it something else? Well, the, the physical side, this is crazy. The physical side, this was my doctor said I was malnourished and I went, how can I be malnourished? I eat awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, she goes, because you've burnt the candle at both ends for 40 years. I'd go to bed at midnight, get up at four, four thirty. I lived on four and a half hours sleep a night. And and she could nobody can do that. And I go, Well, I never get sick. I never get sick. Like, and so I thought I was healthy. And she goes, Yeah, I'm not sure why that is, but all, you are wearing your body out. And your body's connected to the soul. So your soul is wearing out too, right? Are you about to quit? And I go, Yeah. Wow. And and yeah, Matthew 10, 28, human beings are a body, a soul wrapped with a body. And so if you don't take care of one, either one, you're gonna, it's going to damage the other. And so, so she said you, two things. She said, keep eating how you're eating, but you have to get rest. And I wonder why God connected me with Joel P, Mr. Sabbath guy. <laughs> God's been trying to beat this into me for years. Well, I'm lucky that you're able to contact him because he's usually away on a Sabbath up at his lake or something like that. <laughs> That's for he you, Joel. He does get his rest, but he works really hard. He does. So he, and so he's, 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 he's been one of my many saviors, right? And so... Um, and so God is, I feel so loved because God has provided my, the doctor that finally helped me and the minister that helped me the most, both Joel and the two Joels. Joel helped me so much with my left brain ministry because I'm not the way he is. Right. Joel, you're talking about Joel Nagel. Joel Nagel, yes. yes. And, then, and then Joel Pede helped me with this other side where I needed rest and right. I needed to stop believing that my hard work is what made things happen. Right. Right. Now we really work hard in Eau Claire, mm. but we have a different, the attitude is, no, he's the one that does it. And I can be free to have a Sabbath day or whatever, because he's the one that does it anyway. Mm. And then the rest of the week, we work really hard, Right. you know, and, but it's, we're not out of gas when we're doing it. Right. And Great, no. great point. Your your lesson at the Climb Conference, it it blew my mind. It was one of the best lessons classes that I've I've heard in years. And because it was so targeted, 
I mean, you're talking directly toward experienced leaders, people who've been around a while, people who've had some mileage under their belt. And I, I just was wondering, you know, the thing that really impacted me was you talked about how we can be so duty driven and not understand grace. And you talked about the right brain, the left brain. You talked about lions and tigers. And <laughs> people can, I'll put the reference, the location for the YouTube video. I mean, it's, it's something you definitely want to watch. But can you talk a little bit about that and where you got the ideas for that lesson? Yeah, uh, my book's at home. But there's a, a book I read. It's called The Other half of the church it's written by a theologian and a neuroscientist well they're both theologians and uh it talks about the right and left brain and how they function and again god just i pray all the time god give me only good books to read i'm right. a slow reader give me good ones that will change my <laughs> life and so god keeps bringing these awesome books into my lap because uh, he answers prayer and and then you know, I don't know why I'm fascinated with the big cats, especially tigers. Uh, but I came up with this illustration. Um, but, well, let me back up. So everybody's left and right brain. There's no such thing as a left brain person or right or only right brain person. And but they 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 take care of different things like the right brain takes care of our emotions, feelings, relational attachments, our self-esteem, that kind of stuff. The left brain takes care of forming speech, conclusions, hatching plans, logic, all that stuff. Okay. And um, so, so before Genesis three, the brain functioned perfectly because people were healthy in every way. And so, but as soon as trauma hits, I'll just say it this way. It, it, it makes the brain unhealthy, especially the right side. And um, because it, the right side, again, handles your emotions and feelings. But here's the interesting thing. The right brain is the first pathway of any stimulus that comes into your head. So, so it enters any, anything you experience through your five senses, goes up the back of the brain to the right side travels to the front on the right side, cross the front, and then back to the left. Mm. So it travels through your emotional center first. Furthermore, the right brain is faster and stronger, has more cat power, I'll call it, <laughs> than the left brain. And so the analogy came in when I, I thought about lions and tigers. And... Uh, and the tiger should really be the king of beasts. And here's why. A, a tiger, a Siberian tiger especially, is bigger, smarter, faster, more agile in every way than a lion. Uh, way bigger muscles, denser muscles, bigger brain. He's smarter. I mean, just in every way. Uh, when a tiger and a Siberian and a, the biggest lion you can come up with get in a fight nine times out of ten, the only way a lion could win is if he got lucky. Mm. Uh, he's a powerful beast, but he's just no match for a tiger of the same size. Right. And so, so I, when I, 
it's the same way with the right and left brain. So when your tiger gets wounded, your right brain traumatized, then he gets angry, ferocious. This explains why we get triggered. He's faster. And you actually, what neuroscientists call, you get a pre-conscious thought. Okay. In other words, you, you have a feeling before you're even conscious of why. Again, that's, we get triggered all the time, and that's why. By the time it gets over to the left brain, you are already in fight or fright, flight mode, and you don't even know why. That's why someone can hear a sermon delivered by a person. They go, that was awesome. Someone else hears a sermon by the same person. They don't like it because maybe they were hurt by them or somebody else similar to them, mm-hmm. some authority figure. Now, how this plays into grace is your your left brain will tell you that you're safe with Jesus. You're completely forgiven. He loves you. He likes you. Uh, he's on your side. He answers your prayers. But then, but then the stronger, faster, wounded tiger will swat down everything the logical lion will say mm-hmm. and then eat him. Right rip them to shreds. And so that's when it really came true to me. And I'm like, wow, this is heavy stuff. And the Bible has sections of it, the poetry, the Bible, specifically designed by the Holy Spirit to heal the traumatized tiger in your head. Okay, let's... let's... I I could get into that, but I... Right, I know. This is just a... This is just a tasting. It's not a full meal here, but yeah, right, right, that's right, what I really, I mean, I, I got to tell you, I've started reading through Psalms <laughs> ever since that. I'm like, wow. And in your lesson, you talked about how you never really read the the Psalms before or the the wisdom literature so much. And I thought that's exactly me. I Too flowery, you know, poetry, not specific enough, not practical enough. And and yet when you said that, I thought, that's exactly me. So, I, I mean, I, when you're talking about them, I'm like, wow. Okay, so how does a decades-old Christian, or let's just say a Christian who's been a Christian for a few years, rekindle his love for God? If he notices, hey, I'm on, you know, the, I'm on the empty light here. I'm, I'm not really connecting with God like I want to. So talk a little bit about that. Well, one way, and I'm going to be shamelessly advertise this teaching God has put on my heart. But you, you could have me come in for a workshop. Mm-hmm. I just did one up in Duluth. I did it in Oklahoma City just a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I do a workshop now on the wisdom literature. Um, and because this is what did it for me. Now, I think the answer is in Ephesians 5, because there's a passage there. It talks about how do we get filled with the Holy Spirit? I know this. How do we become a healthy Christian? Because a healthy Christian is someone who's filled with the Spirit. Right. Okay. And it literally goes on. And first thing it says is by instructing one another. This is verse 19, I believe. Ephesians 5, 19. Instructing one another with the Psalms, poetry, hymns, poetry, and the songs written by the Spirit. That's what it means. And the ultimate Song is the Song of Songs, 
It's the ultimate right brain book. That's the book that brought healing to me. Up until the 1700s, the Song of Songs was the most preached about and written about book in the Old Testament. It's, and then at, around that time, that's when our world became extremely left brain because of the Enlightenment and the Industrial Revolution. We got so fascinated with how smart we are. <laughs> and so we didn't have any use for poetry. It's weird. And so we, you know, logic and science and all that stuff. And again, that's all important. The left brain is it's not like the right brain's more important. That's not the point. The point is, how do you mesh these two? And that's what we have in the Bible. You have prose and prescriptive language, but then you have poetry and parables that draw pictures. And if you can put that all together, it takes a long time. You can become a healthy, fired up old Christian. Mm. That's in a nutshell what has happened to me. Okay. So what you're saying is that we we tend toward the the more rule bound or the more doctrine doctrine oriented passages and that appeals to our right brain or left side brain left brain left brain okay but what's happening is we're starving out the other side which is the emotionally based and so yep. that that needs to be fed as well and that gets fed through passages like from the Psalms or Song of Songs or Ecclesiastes, Job, th those mm. type books. Mm. Yeah, there's just, yeah, exactly. Okay. Well said. Okay, so that that really helped me, Steve. And I, I've definitely been going after it since I, I talked to you. Anyone who's been <clears throat> a disciple for any length of time has war stories of conflicts, mistreatment, or bad situations. I mean, just talk to anyone who's been around. Oh, let's talk about 2003, or you wouldn't believe what happened to me, what was told me. What advice would you be able to give to a person so that they can move past those those situations, those thoughts, and into a brighter future? How, how do you move past the past? Well, I think one thing is uh, study the book of Job. I'd start there. Um, I think another thing is is be wide open to um, the trauma experts. Obviously, there's some that are not so good, but then we get some that are amazing. In our own movement, we have people like Kyle Spears, Dr. Jennifer Konzen, um, many, many others. I'm forgetting some. Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Timothy Summerlin, you know, because um, they deal in that world. And one of the things that they say is a lot of times we put people in the ministry to fix, to help heal up churches, like our great physician that we follow, and yet we're not healed up. Mm. And so there should be in, when we put guys in the ministry early on, this never happened for me or you or our generation, there should be a way to go, is is Steve Sandin healthy when he went in the ministry at 26 years old? Is he healthy? Because how can I how can I help my church get healthy if I'm not? So mm -hmm. I think that's one of the biggest things that it, that I discuss with you know like Kyle Spears and these guys, um, which I respect off the charts. Right. Um, and so I I think I think that's it. Now I lost a little bit of the original question. So. I don't want to get off track. How do you 
how do, how do you help a person move past the past? Who's, who's so maybe maybe they're they're or, troubled, they're they're triggered by they just they get caught in a endless recycle of 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 hurt or you know feeling offended, and they just can't seem to let it go. Well, I think uh, uh, great. So. I think we have to be open to, again, theologians slash therapists. You you put them together and you get a person that can heal people. Um, But then also we got to be, I think we have to, and this is my greatest dream, I think. I want to someday, I'm not an appointed elder yet, but someday when I am, I want to train other elders about all this stuff. Because these are the guys that should know this stuff. And so uh, right now I'm quote unquote counseling. I'm not, I don't have a degree in counseling or anything, but I, and I've gotten tons of advice from my therapist friends that I mentioned earlier, but I am seeing amazing things happen with these people that like some of the stories I've heard in the last seven months, I'm like, I'd be a serial killer if I, if I went through what this person went through, I'm not kidding you. They, they, these are some of the greatest heroes in my life. And, and what is helped more than anything else, we're going to go back to the poetry. Cause I go, I don't know what to do. I mean, I've been in tears crying like before appointments. I don't know what to do here. This is so beyond my pay grade. It's crazy. And so, but then, 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 God led me to the Psalms mm. and learning how to pray through the Psalms together more than anything else. That is what I see helping people. Okay. Let's, There's a let, lady let, that let, I'm, let's just talk a little bit about that. So praying through the Psalms, because my initial reaction is like, okay, he's going off into this flowery. We're, we're off in the daisies <laughs> and, you know, talking about music and poetry and stuff like that. That's tough for a guy. It's, it's tough for me. There's, there's a, an instinctive resistance when I hear you talking about that. It's kind of like, oh no, okay. Can you just how how do you get into it? Give give us at least give us some practicals on how to get into what doesn't seem to be very practical. How do you pray through the the Psalms? Um. Yeah. Okay. So first of all, the the, the Psalms are unique it's the only book in the bible where well all the other 65 books god is speaking to man the psalms are us speaking to god so god says this is how i want you to talk to me relate to me how i want you to pray to me and so i and and it's along with jeremiah is the biggest book in the bible and so so that really you just got to think about that i could go on a long tangent but these are the songs and prayers that Jesus prayed. Psalm 22. This is how Jesus and all the other ancients got through their trauma. This is how they learned to trust God. Jesus was just as human as we are. He had to learn to trust God. And, and that's what got him there. Um, here's a really cool fact. There's more in the Bible about King David than anybody else. 
by far, except Jesus. I mean, there's not even a close second. And so that tells me that God wants me to be like that guy. Right. He's the guy that's after my heart Mm -hmm. and therefore understood his heart. But it took him a long time. But that that really made an impact on me. Okay, what is okay, I'm gonna study David out. Right. Okay, so that's very powerful. And I, I interrupted you. You were gonna share a story about a woman who and I yeah. and I cut you off. Can you please go back to that? Sorry about that. No, it's all right. But it just you know confirms everything that I'm learning and but it she she was deeply, deeply traumatized. I'm like she couldn't pray. She said a lot of things that Job said. God's an ogre. God's mean. God really hurt my dad bad. That was really bad. Her dad's never been the same since. She witnessed it. And 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 just so many. She 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 has panic attacks. Anytime God's name was mentioned. And her parents came to me. I converted her dad 40 some years ago. And so they came to me and said, could you help our daughter? Nobody's, it just, she's getting worse and worse. I go, oh my gosh. And she had been to a lot of therapists. None of ours, none of the people I've mentioned. And so I got some advice from Tim Summerlin and other people. And and Tim goes, uh, you know, this sounds really tough. And I go, well, what am I doing here? <laughs> <laughs> he literally said it's above my pay grade i go what am i doing he goes, well, you keep doing what you're doing it sounds like it's helping <laughs> and that's when i started praying mm. like crazy because i felt so weak mm. and i just wanted to help this poor woman and so fast forward a few months later here now she prays like nobody I think I've ever prayed with. Wow. We, we do this all through Zoom. She doesn't live in Eau Claire. She loves God. Her favorite book, I think, in the Bible is A Song of Songs. She, she said the other day, ministers are afraid of that book. But that's the book that can heal the church. That's the book that healed me. And so, and we've got a, we, we're, we have plans to teach a class together at the next shameless conference in november here in eau claire because because uh that conference is going to be all about tackling trauma together and you have a old shepherd and this young woman no and 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 then we're going to teach this class together and draw this beautiful picture of of how god through an unschooled ordinary guy that relentlessly studies his Bible and prays his heart out can actually heal people and kind of offload our therapist. We need our therapist, but man, they're getting overrun. Right. Because I don't think I'm not ready to be an elder because I don't understand this stuff deep enough, but someday, honestly, I think that's the biggest qualification to be an elder, but I'll stop there. Okay. <laughs> I could go on another tangent. <laughs> Going back to the subject of David, I thought that was great insight. I mean, the the, the paradox of David that I, I run into is I go, okay, here's this guy, and in many ways he's 
he's super lusty. He's he's an adulterer. He's he's conniving. He kills Uriah the Hittite. I mean, he is he's got pretty much every sin that known to man. And and yet at the same time, God he's the standard. He's the gold standard in the eyes of God. I mean, he gets referenced over and over like, well, this king was kind of like David in some areas, but <clears throat> wasn't wholehearted like David was. I mean, he's he is the standard up until the time of Christ. And I find that so interesting. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I go, okay, there's something about David. He, he had a ton of sin in his life, but he figured out something that totally tickled God's fancy. Yeah, well, another one of my favorite theologians is Sam Lang because he wrote a book years ago, The Guilty Soul's Guide to Grace. And, and of course, he loves David. He's written books about David. So commend our brother. Um, but David is a study of grace. But it's really, his whole life is a study of God. Because here we see, that's what I love about David. Because you look at David, sure enough, I went through and I saw at least six times, six episodes in his life, where he really messed up. <laughs> we think of only one. Right. And maybe that was the worst one. But because of his pride and the pride of his leadership, at the end of his life, 70,000 innocent people died. Right. That's how bad pride is. Or because, or after, this is after Goliath, he gets so, such in a bad place that he, he pretends to be insane. Talk about a faith attack. Mm -hmm. Talk about a low point. And I asked Racine when I was interviewing Racine, I said, okay, I've sort of gone through my David-like experience and it's not been very pretty. And I said, if you, if you, if you heard a couple of years ago, I was walking around Minneapolis letting drool run down my beard and acting, <laughs> pretending I'm insane and drawing graffiti on the buildings. Would you have hired me? Would you hire me? And, and that was sort of my experience. And it's like, well, they did. So, okay. <laughs> so oh, they took a big chance, but that's grace. Right. Cause we're all like David. That's right. We're all like David. And, and, and Saul is King or Paul, the apostle is, kind of the new testament david yeah. this guy he says i'm the worst sinner ever and yet god's grace right when i started understanding the god of those guys then i started to understand grace wow. and the poetry took it from my head down into my heart because you can know it I could, I could explain grace since i was a young christian but now i get it in my heart and at least sorta, I'm, I feel like I'm still in elementary school, right? With the idea of grace. Wow, I, Steve, I just feel like you're you're really onto something, and it's 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 something that's taken me a long time. And but at the same time, I look back on my Christian life, and there are times as a younger Christian, or times I've had some crises in my life early on, and really getting a taste of grace, just just a just a sip. And it's so incredibly intoxicating, so powerful. And for years, I'd look back and go, man, I want to feel the way I felt way back in, you know, 1980, something or other. And, and yet it's just, I go, that's no way to live. I want to feel that way right now. I want to, I want to continually 
live in that sense of grace. And so I, I feel like what you're doing is super, super powerful. I want to talk more about that, but I want to change the channel. Do you mind if I just change the channel here real quick? Sure. Let's talk, let's talk motorcycles. Okay. <laughs> you are a motorcyclist and sounds like you, can you talk a little bit about your, your motorcycling stories? Well, I was born with a leather jacket on. <laughs> when the doctor spanked me, I punched him in the face. <laughs> so, uh, I started riding when I was 11 years old. Wow. Uh, and it wasn't legal or anything. But we, when, when my neighbor's dad was gone, we would take his motorcycle off. <laughs> oh, we got in trouble for that. But anyway. Um, and then on my 18th birthday, it wasn't legal for me to buy a motorcycle until I was 18. And my mom certainly didn't want me to drive buy one. So I went out and saved up for years and bought a Suzuki 550. Nice. And, uh, and so I took a seven, I've, I've owned 13 bikes in my years. And, and I took a, a thir- or 17 year hiatus or interruption because I, lo- I do love my wife more than motorcycles. Oh yeah. And so she said, while we're raising kids, uh, I, I don't want to be a single mom. So can you not ride motorcycles? Once you're expendable, you can ride them again. <laughs> we laugh about it. So, so once my kids got a little older, they're almost out of the house. Okay, I can handle being a single mom now. So <laughs> I literally went out that day and bought a bike. And so, but I just, I don't know why I love them. I think it's, I think it's kind of like walking with God because yeah. it's like, super scary i'm scared to death of motorcycles mm-hmm. they give me trepidation but then they make me so happy it's kind of like that with god right we, yeah. he's we got a fear of the lord and right. revere him and we're in awe, trembling awe mm-hmm. but then also we're like i never feel more alive mm. than when i'm riding a bike i i feel the same way i mean motorcycles are scary and they've definitely caused some damage for me over the years i won't get into it but What's what's your favorite ride? Give me give me your best road trip on a motorcycle. Well, I've only gone on a couple really. I I was a I wasn't so much a road trip guy. I I drove from Minneapolis to Chicago a couple three times, so that's that's just like an eight or nine hour trip on a bike. Um, but I I was more a, a daily commuter. Wow. I had a daily addiction to motorcycles. Wow! <laughs> so I'd have my saddlebags you know, full of my office, all my books, everything I needed. <laughs> I even drove, I was so crazy. I drove it like in Minneapolis. I never put it in storage. And I wrote it in January. If, if it got above 20 degrees and there was no ice on the road, I would drive it. Wow. And uh, I was stopped by a police officer once because it was 10 degrees. And he goes, what are you doing? I go, mm, having fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So, so, anyway. so, so now you can't ride because of your, your back or your. Yep. Oh my gosh. Do you, do you have hopes to ride in the future or is it basically yeah. off the table? My two, my only two things I ever did to blow off steam other than walk with Jesus, I guess, is uh, working out motorcycles mm-hmm. and I can't do either of them right now at all. But I do think the healing, I think I'll be able to start working out my goal is by my 65th birthday in October. And then, uh, then, then maybe next summer, not this coming summer, but the summer after that, as my healing, I might be able to get another bike. 
That'd be if awesome. I can afford one. <laughs> you know, I would I I would love to ride with you. I know that you like uh, Kawasaki Concourses, the the fourteen hundred. Yep. So, uh, I, every time I see one of those on Craigslist when I'm I'm scouring, you know, used ads, I think about you, Steve. So, can you tell me a little bit? Let's go back to what you've been doing. Can you tell me about Nourish to Flourish? What is that? Well, it's all about healing. My my great passion is I, God has healed me up so much. I'm seeing other people healing up spiritually that I go, I just, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I want to nourish people with the deep truths of the faith, especially the poetry, so they can flourish as a, as a Christian. And then if you get a whole church doing that, then you have a flourishing church and fruit that will last. Jesus didn't say just bear a bunch of fruit. He said, I want you to bear fruit that lasts. Mm-hmm. If Christians get healthier and healthier, they'll never fall away. Mm-hmm. They just won't. And I think that's probably the biggest reason why, you know, sadly, so sadly in our movement of churches, we've had so many fallaways. I heard Marty Wooten say one time in a sermon, this was years ago, but this got me thinking we are in a crowd of 900 people. And he said he asked a question how many of you feel really secure that you're saved raise raise your hand so i raised my hand i looked around less than 10 people in that crowd of almost a thousand raised their hands i went we're doing something really wrong here but we're not doing something right or something i don't know what it is now i think i know through all this study but then i was just shocked this isn't this something wrong And so that's what created this idea of, uh, and there's a passage in 1 Timothy 4, verse 7, that you nourish, nourish the church with the deep truths of the faith, Paul tells Timothy. And that's, that's, that's what spawned this whole idea of, of helping churches become healthy. What I, what impresses me, Steve, as a minister is that you haven't given up the mission for the the medication. You haven't given up the the passion to save the lost for the sake of uh, what you, what you're doing in terms of you know your your side ministry, and that that absolutely respect that because you're still a, a baptizer. You're still all about the mission. How do you, how do you keep that balance? Fascination. Hmm. I'm so fascinated with Jesus. And I feel like I'm just getting started. I can't not share about him with everybody I can. I've been, you know, I don't think we should use the term personal fruit. But the last four years, in spite of all this pain and bedridden, being bedridden even many times, I've been more fruitful. Kelly and I have. Several couples become Christians. Uh, I'm doing a workshop in Racine in about a week. I got like five visitors coming, people that I reached out to when I was there, and didn't be, but I've kept up with and they just, they're coming. Right. And I have visitors here, studies here, even though my focus is 98% shepherding and healing people that are already in the kingdom. God, one, this one lady, uh, and her family got converted and they were raised in both raised in, um, um, they didn't, what's anyway, I can't remember the, 
foster care. Okay, so they were some troubled people. I met her in a Target and I just invited her, you know, it was just a short exchange, like a minute and a half. And I gave her my card. She emailed the church. And anyway, they became Christians because, and this is what she said. She goes, I'm, I was scared to go to church, but I saw something in your eyes that I'd never seen before. Mm. And I think it was that I'm a lot healthier than I used to be. I think it's because I understand grace a lot better than I used to. I think it's because I'm happy. Mm-hmm. And the reason I went back to church back in 1978 after I visited, because the people were so happy. And I went, I'm going back to that church. Right. Okay. That's very powerful because sometimes I see people who like, they're like, Hey, once I get healed, then I'll share my faith, you know? And, and that, that could be years, decades. But what I see in you is a, Hey, as I remain in Jesus, as I get closer to him, I'm, I'm going to bear fruit, fruit that lasts. And so what, a, what a great example, Steve, what advice would you give to a person who wants to make this life count? That's the book of Ecclesiastes. Oh my gosh. Okay. It's going to sound crazy. Ecclesiastes is about that. That's what it's about. But you have to remember you're going to die. One of my favorite books I read is called Living Life Backwards. I can't remember the author. Living Life Backwards. Just a tiny little commentary on uh, Ecclesiastes. And, and Ecclesiastes mentions that you're going to die on every page. And in Ecclesiastes, the word means one who gathers. And, and, and it's like a, it's a theologian. Um who gathers young people, especially, and teaches them, you're going to die. Because mm. young people don't ever remember that. I didn't. That's why I drive my motorcycles 100, 100 miles an hour, you know, <laughs> and I was 20 years old. I didn't think I was, I thought I was invincible. Mm. But what he says is the only way to truly contentedly live life is to remember you're going to die. Because then that that purifies your motives and your passions because you're like, oh, I'm not going to do that. Anytime someone goes through a death experience or near-death experience, all of a sudden their priorities are clarified. And that's what the book of Ecclesiastes is about. So remember that so that you can learn how to truly live and find happiness. And it sounds so countercultural. If you remember you're going to die, you can find happiness. Mm -hmm. But I won't say any more than that. Very Again, powerful. I'm, anyway, but that's just amazing stuff. Okay, Steve, you've got a lot going on. You you wrote a book on better than wine, on marriage. You're doing Nourish to Flourish. You Sounds like you've got a conference coming up in Eau Claire. If a person hears this and is interested in, in finding out more and getting a hold of you, how can they reach you? Uh, they can go to nourishtoflourish.org. That is N- the number two fm.org and and uh we're a little behind on putting the uh, um website you know putting everything on the website my daughter does that she just had surgery uh so but uh we're we're getting after it so I, in about a month we're gonna have this thing really and and then if 
I don't know if if you can attach it. I can send you a list of all the things if you want. I'll put it all in the notes. Absolutely. I'd be glad to do it. Yeah, I'll send you a list of things that we offer uh, or will offer in the near future. And uh, and, because it's we're just getting started, but I can't wait to do all I can just to help people. It's exciting what you're doing. Thank you so much for your time, Steve. Sure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining the Rob Skinner podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, please hit the subscribe button and let your friends know about it and how to find it. Because my goal is to inspire you to make this life count, live a no regrets life, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day and make this life count.